Welcome to Wealth Science. I'm your host, Jesse Fuchsia, Army Ranger, real estate investor, and income enthusiast. On this show, we uncover the keys to attaining financial freedom. There are so many people listening right now who are stuck in that day-to-day, nine-to-five rat race. Luckily, it's only temporary. Each week, we bring on guests that help us discover the steps to build financial freedom, passive income, and generational wealth, so we can live the life we were born to live. Money is freedom. Let's get to the show. Welcome back to another episode of Wealth Science. I'm your host, Jesse Fuchsia, and today's guests are Susie Sevier and Michael Barnhart. Susie and Michael are the power couple of real estate. The ambition for multifamily commercial syndication that was born during the COVID pandemic. Michael and Susie have been able to build a portfolio of apartment multifamily deals, all while investing from across the pond. Wealth Science, I bring you the hosts of the Adventures of the Real Estate Investor podcast. Michael and Susie, helping everyday people escape their W-2 and attain financial freedom through real estate investing. Guys, I can't tell you how pumped I am to have you here today. I appreciate you guys taking time out of your schedule to do this interview. Yeah, yeah, Justine, thank you so much. It's really a pleasure to be here, and we cannot wait to bring value to your listeners. That's right. Absolutely. And and just to kind of be clear, I mean, I've been telling people all week that I'm (laughs) interviewing Michael and Susie on Sunday. (laughs) People are fired up. People are going crazy. They can't wait to hear this episode. For the people who don't know who you guys are, if you could just take a couple minutes to introduce yourself to the audience. No, absolutely. Yeah. So I'm Susie Sevier. Um, as Justine mentioned, so Michael and I are the co-founders of the Ventures Real Estate Investors. I am now officially a full-time real estate investor. As of like two and a half months ago, I left corporate America where I was a project manager for a biotech company over here. That's a little bit about me. Are you going to you? Yeah. Um, me, I have see an Air Force officer in the Air Force for like 17 years now. Mm-hmm. Um, currently getting a PhD at the University of Cambridge. After this, I'll have a couple more assignments and then I'll and then I'll just go and retire and transition to real estate full-time is the plan. Yeah, I find this so fascinating how you guys have been able to do all this from, from Cambridge, England. I mean, I'm, I'm really interested, where was that initial bug, you know, for financial freedom? Or where was that kind of like initial idea of like, hey, you know, we're thinking about this financial freedom, you know, thing. And there's also this real estate thing as well. I'm, I'm curious. So that's a great question. So there's like two parts to that. So initially, Michael and I met at a TEDx conference. So not TEDx, no, Grant Cardone, but like, TED talks and all of that. So it was a TEDx (laughs) conference and the theme was reset. And like, we went in that we're like really open-minded and it was like, okay, we need to start thinking of stuff differently. So that carried into when COVID-19 and the lockdowns happened over here. Cause in England, the first lockdown was a little over a hundred days and everyone was sent home from work. So Michael just picked up a book that he knew he had been wanting to read called the slight edge. And in that book, it just talks about being like 1% better every day. But in the back of that book, it gives like a recommendations, like a reading list. And one of those books is multiple streams of income by Robert Allen. And in the second section, it talks about real estate investing. And he like, just immediately, Michael's like, okay, you need to read this part. This is what we have to do. Cause we were doing a mini book club. So I was going to read it after anyways. He's like, no need to read the first part. Like, let's just check out the second. Cause 
Michael's been like an entrepreneur by heart. I have not. So I was like, okay, we'll try this. <laughs> and, and so that's really how it was born. It was like, remembering the reset from all along the slight edge about being 1% better every day. And like, what does that mean into that one book that talks about real estate? And when we found out real estate had gone virtual and that everybody else was, had the same like advantages we had, we knew that that was like our greatest opportunity. Yeah. I mean, that's incredibly interesting. And like, just thinking about where the world was at in in 2020 and in such a dark time, you know, obviously, unfortunately for so many lives, but it's like, you guys were able to leverage and utilize that for obviously this incredible opportunity where now you guys are changing so many lives. I mean, it's almost like the perfect story of, of, of taking bad and turning it into good. It's, it's just incredible. And I love how that's how was kind of like the catalyst for this, you know, as you guys had that bug for financial freedom, I guess, what was kind of the specific draw? I'm curious to multifamily commercial real estate, or, you know, were you guys even looking at other asset classes at that time as well, as you guys were doing your research? Yeah. So actually initially, do you want to tell the story? You do. You're good. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> well, I, I just want to back up two seconds, Jesse. And, and, uh, and you, you mentioned something about like, you know, uh, using situations as catalysts, right? It's so like a lot of people during COVID, especially like, I mean, you hear, you heard it a lot, right? You heard it on the news, you heard it on, you saw it on social media, you saw, it, you know, Instagram, Facebook, whatever, all over. Everybody was just so upset and complaining. Yes, it was a terrible thing that happened, right? But like a lot of people, just can latch onto something that negative that's happening and then just let them let that take over their life. Right. And then they down spiral into something that they'd never thought they would be. Um, while some other people who see those situations as opportunities and say, okay, what's the positive to this? Right. So the positive to that for us was like all the time we had to read and spend time with each other and learn more about each other and what we want, our goals were going to be. Right. It's so like, that was the positive. That was a silver lining of COVID. Right. And so we were able to use that in, as a as a launching point to really you know change the trajectory of the rest of our lives. So I challenge your listeners to you know every time you, you you come across a bad situation, it's not you know something that you need to take in and like really let it attack you and 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 maybe use that as a learning opportunity to say okay what's the positive in this right? Um, great book to read it would be uh, the Obstacle is the Way by uh, um, Ryan, Holiday. Ryan Holiday. Thank you. And uh, it's just an amazing book, but, but to get to your question, <laughs> Jesse, um, you asked, you know, what was, you know, what was a transition for multifamily? And like, we initially thought, Hey, let's, you know, let's go into single family, single family seems safe. We can do it ourselves. Uh, we can purchase a single family home by ourselves. If we screw anything up, like it's just on us. Right. And we can learn this whole real estate investing thing. Well, <clears throat> we actually attended a, a military conference. It was a military real estate conference where we learn everything from flipping to wholesaling to multifamily to mobile home parks, whatever at this conference. And there's a speaker for each, you know, different type or flavor of real estate, if you will. And one of the speakers was um, uh, Whitney, Sewell. Whitney Sewell. Thank you. I'm uh, blanking around. Whitney Sewell from Lifebridge <laughs> Capital. Lifebridge Capital. And uh, I'm having difficulty with names today. But uh, anyways, he was like, Michael, he looked at me because we had like the Q&A afterwards and stuff like that. And, and it was just a room of a couple of us, whatever. He looked at me in the face. He said, Michael, you don't have to start with single family. You can jump straight into multifamily. And I was like, what? No way. Because <laughs> yeah. like, our goal was to, you know, work on single family for a while. And then in, in 10 years, once we kind of did single family, we would jump into like maybe like a 10 unit. You know, we thought <laughs> 10 units was crazy, right? Um, at that at that point in, in our in our growth. And so 
he gave us a permission to, to give ourselves permission to say, okay, maybe this isn't so crazy, right? So that's why we started looking into, into multifamily. One of the reasons why we started looking into multifamily, there's, there's other reasons, of course. One of them being economies of scale, right? When you have a single family home and you have one vacancy, you have 100% vacancy. If you have 100 unit and you have one vacancy, you have 99% occupancy, right? So it's just things like that. Um, and once we understood that whole process and, and the economies of scale that were available for multifamily and how to uh, take down multifamily deals, and getting those get those networks, those groups of people who are doing multifamily deals, we're like, oh, this is this is simple. This is easy. So it's it's simple. It's not easy. <laughs> That's incredible. And it's it's like everybody's limiting belief that you have to start small before you go big. And even in my own career with what we're doing with mobile home parks, my first commercial deal was 141 units for 141 lot mobile home park. And it's mm -hmm. like, before that, I was just cold calling like eight unit parks or 12 unit parks and 15. And I just made that mindset shift. I mean, almost like similar to how Whitney helped you guys make that mindset shift and be like, you guys don't have to start uh, small to get that first deal. So I think that's so crucial. And, and I think it's such a huge limiting belief, unfortunately, for so many people out there. And you mentioned all the incredible aspects of, of large commercial multifamily. As you guys are kind of building up to that first deal, I mean, can you kind of talk through the timeline of that first deal that you guys got under contract and across the finish line? I mean, some of the challenges and stuff leading up to that and, and getting it across the finish line. Gosh, the challenges. <laughs> I mean, there's so many with your first deal because like everybody just talks about like the power of the first deal, you know, but people aren't talking about partnerships, really. People aren't talking about capital raising. People aren't talking about how you can like negotiate terms with lenders. People aren't talking about how insurance is crazy expensive in Oklahoma, but <laughs> um, like what we did though, was that each time we heard a new story about that, you know, somebody had asked us like, oh, how much do you think you can raise right now? I'm like, well, nobody's ever asked us that. Like, I don't know. I don't know. I have to think about that. Then that like lights a fire, you know, or when a broker is like, well, who are you going to use for lending? You're like, I got to figure that out right away. Like you can't just go into the, a deal, just hoping that everything falls like works afterwards. But like for our first one, Harper's Lodge, I guess we saw it in August and it wasn't stabilized yet. Um, and so we kept watching like through the end of August through September and then October came and we were like, okay, it's stabilized for that month and it's trending up. So we know that it can be stabilized by the time we close. And so that's when we put an offer in. And I think it went under contract in November in December, or December, December, 6th, December yeah. 6th. Oh, there we go. And then we closed February 23rd. So, I mean, by the first time we saw it in August, yeah, it took August, <laughs> you know, whatever, six months for it to turn into actually closing. But I mean, so much happened in between that time that we didn't know, um, I mean, like that is so much paperwork. If you're trying to do like a agency loan, you know, with Freddie McAfee May, I mean, nobody talks about the amount of paperwork. Um, I, I wish I could say it was like a challenge, but it's just now that we've done like the second and the third, you know, fourth, fifth, like all that paperwork is easy now. It just seems like a lot at the beginning because no one's talking about it. But I think our biggest challenge actually came down to the very, very end. Um, and what that was, I mean, I guess it was too. So capital raising was a challenge, but then at the end also this like really small detail where we had to send in the closing docs and the, what, who, 
it wasn't the lawyer it would have been like the lawyers or the lenders like helper sent us all the same tracking info. Oh, so, yeah. <laughs> so once the first person submitted it in the mail, everybody else's no longer was like, could no longer actually be tracked yeah, or so go to the right place because there was only one shipping you know, label. Yeah. Shipping label. Jeez, so it was like, okay. Oh yeah. So like that was crazy. And you don't ever expect stuff like that to happen, but with capital raising, right. Cause like, that's always a huge one. Um, we went into it asking our partners how much they thought they could bring. And then, but the problem after that was we didn't ask hows or why, like, why do you think you can bring that much? And I think that's really important because like, if somebody has a list of a thousand, but they haven't talked to 900 of them in two years, like, like their soft commit is irrelevant at this point, you know, like how often are you talking to these people? How often are you even just sending out surveys? You know, cause you could easily put out a quarterly survey saying like, Oh, if I have a deal coming down the pipeline, like, would you be interested in it? Yes or no? Like what would your soft commit be? And then you like find out. Cause like some people could tell you yes. And then like one week later they find a different deal, you know, like, but that's not something they're going to tell you. And so those, I mean, cause capital raising is always a challenge. I mean, it isn't, as much anymore, like for your first time, it usually is a challenge, but even just like the little details at the end, right? Like the shipping labels, it's like, this is not something I thought about. I was, my plan was not to go to FedEx three times in one day, you know? <laughs> that is so crazy and you're irregular. And there's like, there's no way to plan for that either. It's not like that's in any book you're going to read when the shipping labels all go to the, that's yeah. crazy. Yeah. That's, that's crazy. And I couldn't, you know, imagine how frustrating and, uh, stressful it was, especially right there at the end when it's time to close as well. Um, that's crazy. I'm, I'm curious and like going back to the aspect of you guys being in England and doing this all from England, like in this hyper competitive commercial multifamily world, like people stress the importance of relationships with brokers, you know, taking brokers out for like cups of coffee and stuff like that, really building those relationships. I guess, how have you guys been able to bridge those gaps with doing it from across the pond? Because it's not like you can drive to Tulsa, Oklahoma and take, you know, Jane Doe out <laughs> to lunch for the day and meet her and stuff like that. I'm curious. It was just like a lot of calls, like a lot more touch points. So like, instead of calling to ask about deals, you know, Michael would call and ask like, how's your week going? Like, oh, I know your soccer slash football team is playing this week. Like, are you excited? You know, cause that's like something that people can connect with, with us being over here. And I mean, just being consistent and just showing up really was the biggest thing. Like we treated them like people and made them into relationships instead of transactions. You know, it wasn't like a, Oh, you don't have a deal for me. So I don't want to talk to you right now. It was like, okay, no, you really have to create those relationships in order to get the best deals because like those really, really good deals, brokers are not going to send it out to their entire list. You know, they'll send it to like the five closest, I guess, buyers that they know that can close and that are serious and like want to do deals. Not the people who are just like a one off phone call. Like that's not what they want. That's not what any of us want. So like, if we don't want that, why would we treat people that way and expect a better result? Yeah, absolutely. And it's, I think it comes back to like that authenticity piece. And, and you said it yourself, not just calling like when they have a deal, but you know, Hey, how's your daughter doing? Or how's your son doing in, in school right now? Like just, just being authentic and being the real you is, is like what you said, it's going to have them, you know, when they do have those pocket listings, they're going to bring them to Michael and Susie or to the people that they really genuinely care about. Um, it's, it's so incredible when looking at like the partnership structure of, of this first deal and, and across, and again, investing from a long distance away. I mean, how have you guys been able to leverage the importance of partnerships when it comes to doing these deals? I'm curious, you know, doing deals across across the pond, we've, we found that like it 
actually helped us really take a step back and look at like which parts of the business we need to focus on and like say where we need to find partners that are boots on the ground partners in the certain areas that we want to invest in, right? Like, um, and it really helped us build our, build out our infrastructure, like build out our systems and processes and everything like that, that we need to, to have in a business to make it run smoothly. For example, like if we have a deal that's sent to us, like we want to go walk that deal, right? Well, we can't physically, we can't fly and visit every single deal, um, especially, well, now that COVID is kind of over, um, we, it's, it's a little bit easier if we wanted to go check out a property or something like that. We can definitely do that. However, uh, you know, we're not going to go visit a property until we actually have something under contract, right? But, but to get it under contract, we actually have to visit it. That's where partnerships come into play, right? So like we have to have our boots in the ground partner. Well, if we can't be there physically to see it, what we had to think and brainstorm, like what would we want to see? What would we want to look at while we were, if we were there, right? So we've come up with like multiple different lists. Like, so pre, you know, even going to walk the property, we have a, we have an entire checklist, like, okay, what do we need? What information do we need from the broker besides like the T12 and the rent roll? Um, and other details, right? It's like, what other details do we need from the broker in order to completely underwrite the deal? Um, and then once we that passes our check, we have another checklist and say, okay, when we go walk the property or when our partners in the area go walk the property, what do we need to look for, right? So like, we literally have a checklist. Okay, this is what you look for in the exterior. Take pictures of, of like serial numbers and dates for on the um, AC units, right? Because that's a huge thing in Oklahoma. It gets very hot in the summertime and we want to make sure that we can correctly budget for AC units that are probably going to go out in the next, you know, two, three, four years, whatever. So just things like that. And like, what do we look for? You know, Hey, is there, is there overhanging trees and certain parts of the roof, right? Because overhanging trees can lead to um, increase of, you know, leaf debris built up in the gutters, which then could, you know, lead to wood rot, which potentially could lead to whatever, right? Like it's things that normal people um, who haven't, I would say normal people, like people who haven't had that experience yet, would just like walk right by and be like, oh, that's that's fine, you know. But like these little tiny minute details is what's going to really ensure that you budget correctly for everything you need on the capex side of things before you submit an offer. So like just like little things like that. So it really helped us think about all the things we needed to do, and we've set up our systems and processes now. And I think being away, being this far away from our properties, uh, and not being able to just drive down the street and check on us as much as we can, like has really helped us build the infrastructure that is needed to run a successful business because ultimately we would like to be less involved and the business still run on itself. Right. Yeah. I mean, those systems and processes, it's almost like it's a blessing and a curse being that far away. Cause like you said, it's forced you to build those, those right systems and processes to have it intact to tackle these problems from a long distance. And when I got started in college five years ago, like we owned student housing and the first house I ever lived in, you know, I rented it to my buddies and stuff like that. And I was constantly, you know, fixing whatever leaky sinks, holes in the walls and stuff like that. But it's like, you guys have put these systems and processes to be able to manage from the macro level and to execute it. And I read this incredible book earlier this year. I can't remember who it was by, but it's called Who Not How. But it's yeah, it's so Dan Sullivan. Yeah. Thank you. Sorry. Susie with the names. I got all the names today. <laughs> all the names today. <laughs> thank you so much, Susie. But incredible book that, I mean, 
like Michael, as you're describing this, it makes me think exactly what you're talking about. When looking at those systems and processes, um, Michael, I'm, I'm curious, I mean, do you guys use any apps or anything like that? Or I'm really trying to p- picture like these lists that you guys are making sure that like your team is building out and, and executing on a daily basis. Um, there's not any specific apps or anything like that. Um, well, I guess other than we, once we get a property under contract, we, we do move everything into Asana, which is okay. like a, a project management software tool. Um, just like money.com or Trello or whatever. Um, but as far as lists and everything like that go, like we have, we share like Google drives and things like that with our team. Um, and like, okay, can you, we'll start like a folder for a specific property and then have like that paperwork in there. And then they'll go and upload their answers to the certain questions we're asking or upload pictures and things like that. But once we get a property under contract, then we transition everything over into Asana. So then we can just really manage closing of the property, takeover of the property, and then the asset management piece after that. Yeah, we're just trying to avoid like emailing at all costs, right? And even with a folder, like later on, if someone's like, oh, my investor was curious about this, or I need this for my next closing. It's like, oh, well, everything's in the folder. No need to email, you know? Because like you, I mean, so many people are checking their email five, six, seven, eight, nine times a day. Like if you, yeah, if you can just like eliminate at like, that and have people doing things on their own, a lot changes, a lot changes. Yeah, I think that's super crucial. And it's it's so important to have those right systems and processes in, in stake. And something I, I just didn't want to gloss over, and I, I apologize, I just wanted to go back and hit it really quick, was the, the concepts around your guys' first capital raise and stuff like that. And even when I got my first deal under contract, it was a because we were able to get it off market, um, we were able to get it at a super low price and we could structure it as a joint venture. So we didn't have to raise capital for it. But I used that deal as a springboard to kind of start crushing social media, you know, three or four times a day talking about this deal, even though I wasn't raising capital for it, because like, I'm a huge believer in in digging the well before you need it when it comes to raising capital. Is there any, I know we talked about a lot already, but is there anything like, as you guys were going about that first capital raise, like reaching out to investors and building that initial investor list to like, I guess, help with that first capital raise? I mean, anything major that kind of stuck out of your mind that really worked well for you guys? One big thing was that when we had investor calls, you know, we'd always ask like, why are you investing in real estate? Because they pretty much convince themselves of like why they want to, you know, you don't have to like pull it out of them. Like these people weren't like ice cold leads at that point. Like they were talking about like what benefits they see from it. But then another one was when we saw these people at conferences, cause like our friends and family were not the people who invested with us. It was literally people we met online through meetups and conferences. Like that was a big chunk. Like, yes, eventually now we do have some friends <laughs> who invest, but then with at meetups and conferences, it was just the consistent, like, Hey, how are you doing today? Or like, if somebody said like, Oh, my son's birthday party is this weekend. We'd be like, how was your son's birthday party? Like those touch points. Cause like those touch points are what pull on your heartstrings. And when you pull on people's heartstrings, they remember you more. And like, that's the whole point, right? Like not to be remembered, but like, why are you being remembered? You know, like there's so many of us out there and a lot of us realistically have the same projected performance numbers. Like that's just the way it is, you know? And but it's like going a step beyond that and actually like caring about the people. So it's just like, why do you invest in real estate? And when you see them, just like saying hello and acknowledging that. Yeah. And I'll add two more things to that oh. too, Jesse. Is one is being consistent, consistently showing up, right? Like consistently showing up in networking events, consistently showing up at like 
conferences and things like that. Um, and then you start to get to know people. People start mm-hmm. to know you. They start to see you. Like what really well, worked well for Susie and I is like we're both we're two people on one screen, right? Yeah. Which is, you don't see very often. Um, so that helped us with brand recognition and, and things like that. Um, the other thing too is like even though we didn't have a deal, right? We were talking about real estate. We were you know for, before we start raising capital first first deal, we were talking about real estate. We were writing blog articles about content. yeah creating content. Um, and that, and at the very beginning, it was just writing blog articles, super cheap way, you know, super easy. You could just publish on your website or whatever. Um, yeah, it's very time consuming, but like you learn so much when you write as well. Right. So like, you're not only are you teaching others, but you're also learning, you know, having a more solid foundation, um, for yourself. And so that has helped a lot. And now we, you know, we followed up that content creation with now a podcast and a YouTube channel. Right. So now we have like, constant we're constantly pumping out more and more content and so like when people come across our website now they're like oh here's your investment thesis oh here's here's all your you know your portfolios oh and i can look at your previous investment summaries oh and then i can i can go to your youtube channel and like oh look you talk about this you talk about that i I didn't have a question about that like so we have this all like integrated into our website so people have like this really cool experience and they don't have to leave our website to find any information it's all there right yeah, it's it's so important. I love the idea also of like setting yourself apart. And when people get on an intro call, like through my calendar app, like I have like a punch your address in to like get a to receive a thank you note. And I handwrite a thank you note to like every single person that gets on an intro call, whether it's, you know, 15 minutes, an hour or whatever. Like I've literally had people tell me this is like mind boggling, but like Jesse, I've been in like passively investing for 20 years. I've never had anyone do that. Like, thank you. Like I appreciate it. And it's like, it's setting yourself apart. And I think Susie brought up such an important aspect of like, for the most part, like generally people have like the same rate of returns. Obviously it's not like true across all asset classes, but like most parts, like how can you set yourself apart? It's so important. Um, yeah, yeah I, I love that. So thank you for sharing that. It's super, it's super important um, to kind of just segue here as we're, as we're getting ready to wrap up. And I, I don't want to miss this part because it's, it's what you guys are branded for this concept of return on impact. If you guys could kind of just take the mic for a few minutes and, and run us through like how you guys have really branded this and made this an incredible like life-changing part of your guys's investment journey. I think it's so cool. Yeah. No, yeah, I'd love to. So thanks for asking that. So like with the first book, the slide edge that I talked about at the beginning and being 1% better every day, like if you're just 1% better every day with yourself or to others, like what does that mean, right? So there are almost like 8 billion people on this earth. And if a very small fraction of us was 1% better to like ourselves or to someone around us, like what would that return on impact be, right? Because like you have this amazing ripple effect. I mean, you see it all the time, right? Like if someone smiles at you, you smile back, like, and that makes you happy on the inside. Like that is what I mean by like that 1%. They can be like very small things or they can be very big things. You know, a lot of people like doing like the paying for somebody's coffee. Like what if you paid for somebody's groceries or what if you just opened the door for someone or what if you just said hello? Like all those things are what make this huge difference. And so we were like, how can we bring that back into the business, right? So we thought about like, who are all the people we impact in our business, which is like each other, you know, like all of our general partners, all of our limited partners, our property management team, our lender, our insurance guy, you know, the broker, and most importantly, our residents, because without our residents, like all of us, right? We don't, we don't have a business. We don't have anything to like go off of. So like, how do we do 1% better 
by them. And so within our business plans, we make sure that we can add a component that they would actually enjoy. So like we have been doing like in-unit washer and dryer connections and then also installing the washer and dryers just because like, especially during COVID when a lot of the washer and dryers, like in laundromats, it was like every other one was X'd off. Like for one, then you, you just have to hope it's not 50% full that day. Cause that's what the capacity would be at. Now you have to sit there for hours to wait for your laundry to wash and dry. Like if you have kids, that's horrific. But like, if all of us are in this to get like time freedom, why would we not want to give that back to the people who are the most important, which is again, the residents, right? Like that is huge. And even little things like we do surveys after we close saying like, what amenities would you like to see here? So we're actually asking, I mean, a great example is that I was just at our property, one of our properties or two of them for over a month. And so like I was there, you know, like painting and trashing out units and turning them and talking to residents and like figuring out like what is not working here and like what needs to be changed or like, what can I just do to improve or what is working? How can we implement that and keep doing it? And it's like super cool because I took it as like, I am helping make like a safe community for these people. Like this is really, 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 really important. Like I've only ever rented. I've never owned in my entire life. Like we rent right now. Like I understand what it means to be a renter, but like, I don't understand what it means to be a renter in like a C plus B minus community. So like, what does that mean? How do those people live? Like, what do they actually need? How do you communicate with them? It was so cool (laughs) to be able to do that. But so that's where return on impact comes from. It's like, So how can we do this from afar? But like, if we have to go in and like do the things that all of us say we don't want to do, you know, a lot of people say like, I don't want to deal with tenants, trash, or what's the other one? It's like tenants, trash, toilets. Oh yeah. And toilets. And I'm like, nope, I dealt with all of those three and it was really cool. So like I originally, like for my undergrad had an anthropology background. Like that was what one of my majors was because I love humans. And so like being there was actually super cool because when you can learn about the community, you create a better community. If like, we can't just make better, better communities if we don't have an understanding of who they are. And so that's part of it too, is that like, we want to be there to help these people and whether that's going there and having to do the trash. I mean, it was only for a month, but I should also be grateful that I'm in the like position where I can leave, you know, like our home and our family that we have like for a month to be able to do that. Like that is phenomenal within itself because now I feel better. <laughs> like, and I learned so much, but so that was really, that was a lot, but I'm really passionate about it because it's important. But then that's where return on impact was born and like where, what it looks like now. And just even like where it's going in the future. It's like, how can we continue to serve like communities better? I mean, cause like, for example, and then I'm done, I promise. Like when I was trashing some of these apartments, all of the canned goods I brought to the food bank and I brought over a hundred pounds of food. That like, is awesome. Right. But like, I could have easily just thrown it away. You know, like I didn't need to drive a half hour one way, which isn't that far realistically to do all that, but it's like, no, this needs to spread, (laughs) you know, like I have to think of it better. I was going to say for all the listeners who don't know it, trashing out a unit is just like, (laughs) when somebody moves out, they leave all their crap behind literally. And they're like, you have to 
clean out all the trash basically so she didn't trash any units <laughs> i took the trash, trash out, out. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> yes. this trash is out. uh yeah and thank you so much like for not skipping over any of that because i like i said i think this is so cool and it just goes to show that that this journey and, and wealth is so much more than numbers in a bank account we, you know we are literally you guys are changing lives every single day with these communities that you take over and even with bringing it back to like these mobile home park deals like we we always go to the residents and similar to you guys how can we make this community better we want this to be a safe clean secure place to live where people have pride in living here it's not you know an eyesore or or something like that and what we found too is like the municipalities and the city and the town are like hey you know jesse or, or i'm sure they say michael and Susie. like we love when they come and invest here because they make this a, a better you know safer more clean place to live and it, it's just everybody benefits from it so I, I i love hearing the story and it's so incredible and I, I can't thank you guys enough i just had two more questions i just wanted to get your guys's thoughts on as, as we get ready to wrap up and, and neither are real estate related but we just end the show on these uh these questions every time so the first one i'm really curious if you guys could solve any problem in the world what would it be and why Mm -hmm. oh that one's hard um uh pr providing being able to provide basic education to everybody um and what i mean by basic education i'm not talking about like westernized education where they go through k through 12 or whatever um i'm talking about like just basic you know you know literacy uh being able to read write base, basic ar arithmetic um things like that because just being able to provide that and some, you know, populations just having those basic skills literally solves economic crises. Like you can look at the data and it shows that. And so it's one of Susie and I's big passions is like what we plan on leveraging real estate to do in the future um, and working towards this is being able to go to these countries who, who lack a lot of this basic education and build schools in these areas and be able to provide the education that that community specifically needs, right? Being able to understand what the community needs and then providing that education, whether that's, you know, um, some skilled labor or something like that. But yeah, just because that's all so many problems with poverty and economics, so. Yeah, that, that's incredible. And I don't personally know the statistics on it, but I'm sure like just here in the US, we take so, you know, we, I'm sure we take it for granted public education and public mm -hmm. schooling and that, you know, whatever, most people know how to read and write and to, to solve that problem all over the world or in third world countries, I'm sure would make an incredible difference. And again, I don't know the statistics, but that would be an incredible, amazing problem to solve. So that you guys are the first one to bring up anything like that. And I think that's super unique. So um, the last thing I wanted to hit you guys with, and I'm, I'm really interested because I think it's going to be a super unique answer. Um, Susie Sabier, Michael Barnhart are living the perfect life. What does that look like? Oh, so for me, I mean, I think for us, like the perfect life is one, we're like a hundred percent passive and because we're a hundred percent like passive, like with our investments, um, we can go and live in these third world countries and build schools or wells or orphanages. But like, we also have a team behind us who is helping us. Like we, we've created a community then who also comes and helps us. And like, once we put up one and like the community is secure to be able to handle it. Right. Cause we're not just going to go build something and be like, Oh, figure it out. You know, cause that defeats the whole purpose. Then it's just going to be an empty building. Like what built type of building do people want? Like would a, even would a well suit them better? Like whatever that is, like make sure that they have everything in place. And then like, 
we figure out like where, where we need to touch next. And then we go and do that again. And like, hopefully fulfill like a really big need that the community wants and needs. And then we go to the next place. That's our perfect life. And then for me, my cat is joining. Our cat is joining us. <laughs> that's uh, that's awesome. And again, I, I can't thank you guys enough. Like today was incredible. And it, it, it just goes to show that wealth is so much more, like I said, that the numbers on a bank account, you guys are literally solving world problems and, and changing communities every single day with what you guys are doing. So I, I can't thank you enough. Again, this story is incredible. And and I wish, I wish we had more Susie's and more Michael's in the world, because I think this oh, would be a, such a, uh, such a better place. So, but this today was amazing. I mean, Susie, Michael, people who want to hear more about you, who want to reach out or, or follow up with your story. I mean, what are the best platforms to reach you guys on and, and how can people connect with you? Yeah, absolutely. So thanks for asking, Jesse. The, the best way that your listeners are getting in touch with us is just it's very simple. It's just going to adventurousrei.com forward slash info. And that's a landing page. So there you can find everything that we talked about today. You can find Returnal Impact. You can read more about that and what Susie and I were kind of building with Returnal Impact. Um, you can find our YouTube channel there. You can find our podcast as well. And you can connect with Susie and I on LinkedIn. And make sure that you let us know that you heard us on Jesse's podcast and we'll be sure to connect with you on LinkedIn. So, yeah, and I just want to add, because I think this is like super important is like impact, like I said, is like big or small, like it varies between everyone and like what works best for their lifestyle, you know? So like, I don't want people to hear this and be like, oh my gosh, I'm never going to be able to build a school or an orphanage. Like, is it worth it? But like, you can do something completely different, right? Like a great example is like, I don't know a week ago, I cut off 13 inches of my hair and donated it, you know, like that I'm impacting someone that way. It's just when you start to think about that, like how can this like daily activity or whatever be an impact for someone, that's where you, your ideas start to grow and then they get bigger, but like, you have to start thinking that you make a small impact somewhere in order to make a bigger impact somewhere else. Yeah, I completely agree. And the impact can come in so many shapes and forms and no matter how small or how big, as long as it's changing someone's life. I mean, in my opinion, you're making it a difference. So like I said, I I can't, I can't uh, tell you how much I appreciate you guys enough for taking the time out today. You know, please everyone go out, go over, check out their website. I just got a list really quick. My top three favorite podcast episodes on the adventures of real estate, (laughs) Uh, Brian Briscoe, Jerome Myers, Ruben Greth, no particular order. Those are my top three. <laughs> Not trying to hint anything for the viewers, but make sure you guys go over and check out their podcast. Those are my top three. So Susie, Michael, thank you. Everything you guys do for this world and this community is incredible. And, and you guys are, are awesome. So again, I can't thank you enough for coming on Wealth Science today. Awesome. Thanks, Jesse. It's such a pleasure being on here and sharing our knowledge with your listeners. So. Yeah, absolutely. Awesome. Thanks, guys. Hey, thanks again for listening to the Wealth Science Podcast. Take some time to subscribe and leave us a review. It really is the basis that helps us continue to bring on amazing guests each week. We have another incredible story to share next week, and I'm certain it's going to add value to this community. Please do not hesitate to reach out if there's anything I can do to help you in your journey of attaining financial freedom. Thank you again for listening, and we will see you next week.